Uh, open up your Bibles to First Peter, or Second Peter. Sorry, Second Peter, chapter two. That's right. We finished our study in in First Peter a couple of weeks ago, and turn our attention uh, to this book of the Bible. That's it's not super long, but uh, it's important. It's a good one. So we're going to be looking at First Peter chapter two, verses one through ten. Oh. I got super good news, very exciting news. I got this email. This was an actual email that I got sent. It was in my inbox. Like it, it accidentally got moved to spam for some reason. But here's, let me read it to you. Uh, the the uh, heading on this email is uh, donation for the work of God. It says, I am Miss Fatima Hakim, a widow suffering from long-term diseases. I have some money I inherited from my beloved husband, the late Mr. Saeed Hakim, the sum of 7.5 million pounds uh, that he deposited in the bank here in Ivory Coast, West Africa. And I need a very honest person and God-fearing who can use these funds for the work of God. That's me. Uh, And 15% will be for your compensation for doing this work of God. Your sister in Christ, Mrs. Fatima Hakim. Isn't that exciting? (laughs) Isn't that great? I'm not even really sure what uh, 15% of 7.5 million pounds is. But when I get the check in the mail, um, I will let you know what that looks like. Uh, I read an article that said nearly $3 billion dollars are swindled away from people through different scams. And these scams, like they're getting more and more sophisticated uh, all the time. Uh, Scammers love to prey on our fears, right? The the newest scams that are circulating all uh, center on, I bet you can't guess what, the, the coronavirus, that's it. They're all about like, hey, here's the cure for the coronavirus. If you just give us your credit card, uh, or, uh, you know, some sort of, uh, uh, you know, donation to victims of it or so- something like that. But yeah, a lot of times these scams prey on our greed, like the social security scam that's, uh, that circulated, like there's a problem with your social security and you're going to go to jail and anybody get that voicemail? My, my daughters get that on their phones all the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and this, this email that I got from Sister Fatima which is just a, like a different version of the Nigerian prince scam that's been around for I don't know how many years and years and years. But it all kind of is, is to prey on our greed. Uh, often scammers will use uh, our faith as a, as a means to uh, uh, pull at our heartstrings. Uh, being able to discern the truth from a lie is not always easy. I mean, because like, if you can't even trust people on the internet, who, who can we trust anymore, right? Uh, discernment is a skill. Discernment is a skill, and, and it's a spiritual gift. Half the battle really is just being aware and being careful. Now, Peter knows that there are swindlers and scammers who will infiltrate even the church, and, and already have. And so he's writing this letter to make sure that, that we are discerning and aware and careful. So follow along as I read uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. He says, But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will be false teachers among you, who will secretly bring in destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them bringing upon themselves swift destruction. 
Many will follow their sensuality. Because of them, the way of truth will be blasphemed. And in their greed, they will exploit you with false words. Their condemnation from long ago is not idle, and their destruction is not asleep. And Paul starts off by just making sure we understand the reality of these false teachers. They really are out there. They really do exist. It really is a thing. When he he starts off by saying false prophets also arose among the people, he's talking about the Old Testament people. There were true prophets of God and there were some false ones. That was the reality back then and that's the reality today. In, In Acts, Paul is is uh, at the end there, he's saying goodbye to this church that he loves, the church of Ephesus, cares for them. He's giving instructions to the leadership there as he's leaving in Acts chapter 20. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease day or night to admonish everyone with tears. He describes these false teachers as fierce wolves who speak twisted things. Uh, later on, Paul writes in, in his letter to his, his buddy Timothy, who's, who's uh, shepherding the church at Ephesus. Paul has put him in charge of this church that he cares for and that he loves. He writes this to Timothy, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it. From, and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Evil people and imposters, they're just going to get worse and worse. They're going to go from bad to even worse, deceiving, and, and, and themselves being deceived. But you, Timothy, your charge is to just hold fast to this truth these, this scripture that you've had since you were young, don't depart from that. And then uh, even Jesus himself in Matthew chapter 7 says this, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit. But the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruits. Oh, right after that, Jesus goes on to say, like, people are going to come and they're going to say, Lord, Lord, look at all these things that I did in your name. And Jesus is going to say, away from me, you who do evil. I never knew you. You weren't doing that for me. You were doing that for you. Now, I listen. I appreciate the fact that all of us here are like we're 
We are gracious and accepting and loving and forgiving people. And, and we want to make sure that we're giving people the benefit of the doubt. But boy, we live in a day and age when false te- teaching and, and the, the twisting of the truth is rampant. We, we have to be careful. We have to be discerning. Because like not every little blog that we read or clip that we see on Facebook or theological idea that's floating around out there on the internet is necessarily true. And it's, scammers are able to trick otherwise smart people into giving away their money, partly because they count on people being trusting and naive. But, but listen, it's okay to be careful. It's okay to, to ask for some input and some advice. It's, it's okay to seek out wisdom. It's okay to check sources and make sure that the things that you're looking at and that you're reading and that you're processing through are, are legit. I had someone do this just a couple weeks ago where they came into my office with a book and said, hey, is this good? Uh, just wanted to make sure that the things that they were reading and passing on to others were, were good. And that's, that's, that's totally cool. That's, I, I, anytime you want to do that, I, I'm here. I love to do that. I spent a lot of time reading and studying because I think that the words that Paul wrote to Timothy are even more true today. I think those evil people really did go from bad to even worse. And like Timothy, I want to evaluate truth based on the sacred writings that, that we, we've had uh, since youth. We simply can't afford to be naive about the reality of false teachers. They've always been around, like Peter says, and they always will be. The next thing Peter does is give us some insight on on the message and then the methods of these false teachers, what they're saying and how they operate. And if if we're going to be careful, if we're going to be on guard, we got to know how they work. Peter says that they secretly bring in destructive heresies. They operate subtly, secretly. Jesus said they're wearing sheep's clothing. They they look kind of like us. <laughs> they look like they're okay. But he, Jesus said, no, actually, they are ravenous wolves. They look and sound okay. They pretend to be believers but they have uh, different motives and, and will ultimately start to teach a different message. And like Jesus says, you're going to know whether or not they're true by what they do. Do they follow the will of God or do they seek their own agenda? Just because someone says that they're a Christian doesn't mean that they believe in Christ. Often there are cults and false teachers, and they'll use the same language. They'll use the same words that we use, right? But to them, those words mean something very, very different. I mean, they'll use words like sin, but to them, sin doesn't mean like transgressing against the the law of God, but to them, sin means like failing to reach our highest human potential or, or something kind of touchy-feely like that. Or, or they'll use a word like grace, 
But instead of grace meaning God's unmerited favor, grace means things that you have to do to earn your salvation. But wait a minute, that's the opposite of grace. (laughs) Or they'll use words like salvation. But to them, salvation doesn't mean redemption from our sins and rescue from hell. No, it, it means like achieving your fullest potential self-actualization or something like that. They'll say that the Bible is inspiring. You mean, you mean inspired? You mean like inerrant, like God-breathed? You mean, you mean that kind of inspired? No, no, I mean inspiring, like a, like a nice poem or an eagle song, you know, inspiring, encouraging. But that's not... Uh, a false teaching doesn't come labeled as false teaching. It comes with more interesting labels. Usually the labels have the word like uh, new and improved on them. New discovery, new truth. I'll just, that's a, that should be a red flag right there. Anytime you see like new truth, that's just old heresy, right? It's not new. Their meth- methods are, are s- secret and seductive. They're shady. But the message is essentially the same. At its core, it's a denial of Jesus, a denial that he is the Son of God, a denial that he is our sinless Savior, a denial of his virgin birth and his earthly life and his sacrificial death and his resurrection from the dead and his glorious return, and a denial of one or all of those things. In 1 John, John has a lot to say about those who act like they're with us, but really aren't. These are people who who say the name of Jesus, but are anti-Christ in their beliefs. He says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they'd been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not of us. But you, you've been anointed by the Holy One. And you all have knowledge. I write to you not because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and because no lie is of the truth. Who is the liar but, the, but he who, who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, he who denies the Father and the Son. No one denies the Son. Who, who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever confesses the Son has the Father also. So so John's litmus test for determining the validity of someone goes back to Jesus. Who do they say Jesus is? I mean, that is is absolutely the the core of our faith. Faith in in the person and work of Jesus Christ is foundational. And it's, and it's not that the, the other things in our Christian life or our Christian belief don't matter. It's just that if you get Jesus wrong, everything else is going to be wrong. That, that's a core. Because Jesus is God. He's the only way that we can be reconciled back to God. Because if... If Jesus is God and we reject the deity of Jesus, we are rejecting and denying God. That's why John says, if you deny the Son, you're also denying the Father. If you have the Son, then you've got the Father too. 
Later on, John says this, 1 John chapter 4, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Again, false prophets will say all kinds of things that, that sound religious-y and good. They might even do things that seem amazing and, and that are persuasive. And they'll certainly be smooth talkers. But none of that matters. What matters is who do they say Jesus is? All right, so false teachers are, are sneaky and they use secretive tactics that ultimately deny the deity and the authority and the power of Jesus. Peter says, though, that they also, many will follow their sensuality. I mean, this is a reference to sexual immorality. In, in, in William Barclay's old commentary, it says, it describes the attitude of a man who is lost to shame. He has passed the stage of wish, wishing to conceal sin and of being ashamed of it. This is the person whose conscience is so seared that they're not even ashamed of the sinful behavior that they're in. Peter warns about these people that have, that have just so accepted this kind of sin that they make it seem like it's normal, they make it seem like it's okay. I mean, the, the lure of, of sexual sin uh, tied to idolatry is something that's tripped up the people of God since all the way back in the Old Testament. It's not a new thing. And very often this, this promise of sexual liberation and license is, is the motive behind the like twisting and changing of Scripture. Well, the Bible doesn't really say that or doesn't really mean that. And it's, it's an old classic means of luring people away from the truth because it works. It's effective. Because this idea of, of being able to just do whatever we want, but at the same time, like, have all those, those promises of God and that relationship of God, it's, a, it's attractive to us. There's this, this promise of liberation and freedom but really, all it is is the same old slavery to sin. It's, it's, we've been freed from that. That's not, that's not who we are anymore. And it makes a mockery of the grace of God. Over in the, the book of Jude, which is in a lot of ways paralleling the things that, that Peter says here in 2 Peter, he says this, he said, Beloved, although I was eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. His introduction there is, is, is an interesting one. I really wanted to write you guys and just talk about how awesome our salvation is, but I, I felt like I needed to talk about something else. He says, for certain people have crept in unnoticed 
who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. This view of sex says that God doesn't care about what you do with your bodies. That grace covers it all over anyway. There's, there's forgiveness and acceptance there anyway. And, and both Peter and, and, and Jude say the same thing. That only perverts the grace of God. Ultimately, it's a denial of the one who's supposed to be our master and our Lord. The one who, who we desire to do his will, not our own. It, it denies him. There, there have always been and always will be people who want Jesus as Savior of some kind, but not as Lord. So these, these false teachers, they operate secretly. They use sex to lure people away from the truth. And, and Peter says they also use greed. In their greed, they will exploit you with false words. They exploit people who often are hurting, who are struggling, who are financially strapped. They make promises to those people that, that they can't keep. They claim that God will grant all of our, our hopes and wishes and desires. They inflate and exploit our greed. And, and sometimes it's not just for financial gain, right? Sometimes it's, it's for comfort or it's for healing or it's for rest or some other thing that we feel like we desperately need. But again, they're offering something they don't have and something that God himself doesn't necessarily promise us. The Bible says in this life there will be trouble. That we will face suffering and hardships. I mean, that's, that's kind of like the whole reason that First Peter was written, right? I mean, we just got done studying that whole book, which is all about Peter, like encouraging us to stay faithful and persevered even in the face of suffering that's coming. He doesn't, doesn't offer like false hope or platitudes or empty promises. And, and well, I mean, I could probably give you an endless list of examples of people out there, false teachers who, who use this greed as a means of gain. We just, just turn on the TV for a few minutes and you'll find some people talking about money, how you can, how you can get it, how like, Jesus died for your financial gain. That it sounds so like reasonable and enticing and it's worth a try, right? It's compelling. But their words are false. The best antidote to that, the best antidote to greed for, for us is to make sure, and, and this is probably like an everyday, maybe a couple times a day kind of thing, make sure that our hearts are fully content in Christ, just completely content with him. Because if, if they're not then we're easily going to be lured away by other things. 
First Timothy 6, Paul tells Timothy this, those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. And the author of Ecclesiastes says, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. This also is vanity. And there, there really are false teachers whose motives are evil. And very often they don't, they don't sound or look evil. They seem legitimate. That's, that's a scary thought. That's a confusing thought. But Peter does not want us to be caught off guard. And so he warns us. Echoes the, the writing of Paul to the church in Corinth in 2 Corinthians 11. It says, For such men are false apostles, deceitfully workmen, disguising themselves as, as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it's no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end corresponds with their deeds. Who, who do they say Jesus is? Do they deny that he is God and Savior and Lord? Do they set an example of, of purity and integrity and devotion to Jesus as Master and Lord? Or do they make a mockery out of the grace of God and encourage you to be the Lord over your own life and do your own will? Do, do uh, the, the teachers that you're listening to seem to increase your desire for money and comfort and stuff? Or do they increase your desire to, to know and rest in Jesus Christ more and more? Why does God even allow these kinds of false teachers to be there? Why does he allow it to happen? He knows that sometimes we can get confused, right? He knows that we're sheep, and sometimes sheep aren't the smartest. So why does God even let them be? Like, why doesn't he just Ananias and Sapphira, all of them, right? Just drop dead. Peter does have something to say about the ultimate fate of those false prophets. If we keep reading into... Verse 4, their condemnation from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. God isn't uh, like unaware. He's, he hasn't fallen asleep. He's, he's going to do something about it. It says, for God did not spare the angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. If he did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. If by turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to ashes, he condemned them to extinction, making them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly. And if he rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensuous, uh, sensual conduct of the wicked, for as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul, over their lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Oh, does that, is that what it's, that, kind of like what it's like to be a Californian, I think, right? A little bit. 
Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the righteous under punishment, or the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment, especially those who indulge in the lust of defiling passions and despise authority. These words for Peter, really, they have a dual purpose. They're, they're, they're there to help us understand that God knows how to take care of the ungodly and the unrighteous. He knows how to deal with them. He, he will. And he knows how to protect and to preserve those who are his own. He's, he's going to take care of us. Even though it might seem like the whole world's gone crazy, God can still preserve us. That means that we can just rest and trust God with that. He'll sort things out. Be, be careful. Be cautious. Be discerning. Trust God's word with everything. Let Jesus Christ be your Lord and your God and stand firm in your faith. God, help us to accomplish this. We, we need you. There are so many confusing things out there. But our desire truly is just to know you and to love you and to be close to you. So Lord, help us to have uh, discerning eyes Lord, help us to love your word and to cling tightly to it. Help us not to fall for the lies and the schemes of this enemy that wants to trip us up and send us down the wrong path. But Lord, we pray that you would keep us close to you. Thank you, God, that you've given us your Holy Spirit. Thank you that you've forgiven us. Thank you that Jesus Christ is our Lord and our God and our Savior. We pray, dear God, that our whole lives would be lived in a way that worships you, that brings you the glory and the honor that you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen.